0: parish associate which is great because it means he does a lot of work for the church and we don't have to pay him which is really what we really love (laughs) but stan does a lot of incredible things um, at this church um, um, with zpc men with the sunday school he does things across the globe with malawi and romania um, and um, where else was it uganda Um, but mostly here's what i want you to know about stan and his wife mary they are an incredible encouragement to me and to megan uh, and, and, you know, as someone who has lived through many parts of what it means to be a pastor, Stan has done an incredible job of being supportive. And so I want to say publicly how much I appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. And we're going to, uh, we're now going to listen. No. So, no. I get to say something? Oh, no. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do now, no, but do just I? about Jonah, too. No. So let's welcome Stan Johnson to. Uh, no. Thank you, Stan. Well, thank you very much, and it is truly my privilege to have these moments to share with you in this way. But, Jerry, you are a dear brother, and I have appreciated that from nearly day one. And when you say or call me your brother, that means much. And I thank you, because indeed, you are my brother. You may not want to claim me all the time, <laughs> but you are that, and I am, I am very pleased to be your brother. Just as I am pleased to be a part of, of this life, this life we call ZPC, Mary and I regularly pray with thanksgiving for the life that is here among us. We, we have been in your midst, if I can frame it that way, for nearly four years. And truly, our lives have been richly blessed by you all. And so in these moments, if I am able to share a little and to provide a little encouragement to you, uh, then I am pleased to do that. Um, One of my theological and biblical Constructs, or I guess, concerns, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where where we read that the Lord of the church gives various gifts to the body to upbuild that body. And as a retired pastor, um, I still believe I have gifts that are to be used. Um, And you might or might not be the beneficiary of those gifts. And, and those gifts might be great or small, but I'm glad to share whatever I have with you, with those in Romania, um, and then through the wonder of Skype or FaceTime, with those in India or the Philippines. But for the moment, we won't worry about that. It's just my delight to be able to share with you at this moment. Last Sunday, you might recall that Sue, Sue Armstrong, launched us into the story of Jonah. And there's no pun intended in that. And she did very well. She reminded us of those Ninevehs, those places, whether those are external or internal, those places we would rather not go. We would rather flee to Tarshish. She reminded us of those, of our penchant towards comfort and we don't want to be outside our comfort zone. And so it is, you might also recall that in, in chapter 1, these words, but Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He did so rather than travel to Nineveh. Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians, the then world power and they were the most hated of ancient peoples they perfected the art of torture and we can give them thanks for crucifixion jonah jonah was to decry the barbarity of those people, and to speak God's judgment against them. Choosing disobedience, he eventually chose death. Please, this morning, consider with me down deep, down deep, as based upon Jonah, Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. But, as is my want, uh, and you've experienced this a little in the past, I have a question for you. It is this. What do you truly feel and think when you are truly afraid? What do you truly feel And think when you are truly afraid. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, so go ahead, say it, neighbor. You're not much better than the the first service. I want some energy with that, neighbor. Oh, thank you very much. You're humoring me. Thank you. Neighbor, let's do it together now. Neighbor, what do you truly feel and think when you are truly afraid? We need to do that again, don't we? Okay, one more time. Neighbor. What do you truly feel and think when you are truly afraid? I will give you 42 seconds. I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask that question of one another. Go. <laughs> Seventeen more seconds. Five seconds. Thank you. You do well to humor me. I wonder, did any of you talk about fear? Did you? Not about the weather? No, okay. Of course, you could be afraid about the weather, right? Again, I invite you this morning to share with me in giving consideration to Down Deep, Jonah chapter 2. But before we do that, let's take yet a further moment to pray. Please, let's pray. Gracious living Lord, we would ask that in these moments we might hear from you. Certainly, we do not need to hear from me, but from you. Grant that we might hear your voice, hear your word to us. And then once we hear, please grant that we will do what it is that you ask of us. By your spirit, please be present here. This we humbly ask in your great and wonderful name. Amen. If chapter one of Jonah is a seafaring adventure of an 8th century B.C. prophet, then chapter 2 of Jonah is a poetic prayer, a poetic song, And I almost did what I did in the first service. I forgot to read the scripture <laughs> until we got it further along. And, and I... Uh, my tendency would be to say, is this a factor of age? But no, this is just Stan being Stan. So please now, thank you, Becky, for, (laughs) please now listen to and for the word of God as it comes to us from Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple?'" The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, seaweeds, weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought me, you brought my life from the pit, O oh, Lord. My God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance, salvation, belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. Indeed it is his word. Again, if chapter one is the seafaring adventure of Jonah, then chapter two is, is a poetic prayed psalm of his submarine experience. However, because the story of Jonah and his being ingested by a large fish has been the subject of much debate, a comment. The the debate centers upon the question, could a human being survive three days within the belly of such a creature? Some argue that the caustic gastric juices of such a large fish would surely kill any human being. Others counter, based upon eyewitness accounts, that human survival is possible. This noted, I'm sure that I will not provide any decisive word with regard to that debate. However, Whenever, whenever we encounter the miraculous within the scriptures, I would encourage us not to fall into that enlightenment trap. And we are those who have inherited the enlightenment, starting with Descartes in 1635 and after, But I would encourage us not to fall into that trap, that trap that suggests that our world is a closed system, operating according to certain immutable laws that cannot be contravened even by God, should God exist. From my perspective, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, created the world, Genesis 1, in a very orderly fashion. We can catalog these as natural laws. But these laws have yet to be established as absolute, as suggested by Einstein's theory of relativity or the principle of indeterminacy. Moreover, as creator, God has not, is not necessarily bound by the laws that he has established. Therefore, I believe that Jonah lived to tell his story. And that his story is more than parabolic, is more than a parable. If we consider Jonah's psalm, verses 1 to 10, we observe that verse 17 of chapter 1 and then verse 10, moving into chapter 3, but then verse 10 of chapter 2, those two verses frame this psalm. Thus we note that this entire incident, but particularly this psalm, is framed by our Lord's sovereignty. He decreed, he directed the actions of a large fish. He directed Jonah's actions. By the conclusion of chapter 2 on into chapter 3, Jonah is on his way to Nineveh. This was to be his. This was to be Jonah's experience and not the experience of any other prophet. This was God's sovereignty and will being worked out in Jonah's life. Once we recognize the framework of God's sovereignty, then then we can recognize the freedom of human life From within the belly, Jonah prayed. Perhaps at a later later date, writing of this horrific experience, this utter distress, perhaps employing the language of David. Psalm 18. Language such as, You hurled me into the deep. The currents swirled about me. Your waves and breakers swept over me. And seaweed was wrapped around my head. These descriptive, poetic words are highly emotionally charged. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being thrown overboard into a raging storm? Being strangled by seaweed? Without control? No sense of up from down? being twisted and turned and crushed? Can you imagine? But there is more to Jonah's psalm, his prayer, more than the language descriptive of a man drowning. For we also read, from the depths of the grave, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. You brought my life up from the pit. Jonah's psalm is not only a cry of distress, but of affirmation of hope, Jonah cried out, and he was heard. The Lord heard him. By by prayer, he knew the saving power of his Lord. And he perceived his true identity, namely, to respond in kind to the loving kindness. The Hebrew word is chesed, it's a wonderful word. He learned that his identity was to respond in kind to the loving kindness, verse nine, the loving kindness of God, the one who is the source of all love and all kindness. He learned to recognize his identity, to respond with love and kindness. Oh, to be sure, Jonah's prophetic calling from that moment forward was still fraught with all kinds of difficulties, difficulties still to be faced, But Jonah's story is the story of the Lord's sovereign, loving-kindness. Loving-kindness not only for those Assyrians, those Ninevites, but especially loving-kindness towards Jonah. And Jonah's story is also the story of resistance and disobedience, a very common story. This noted, the imagery of Jonah's prayer is also the imagery of one who has died. The imagery is of one who has died. In making this comment, and without contradicting the historicity of Jonah's experience, I would have us entertain, only entertain, but I would have us entertain for a moment that perhaps Jonah did die. If so, and this is a conditional statement, if, shift with me if you will, if so, If he did die, then Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 40, gain further light. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, Jesus said, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It could be, it could be that Jesus understood Jonah's experience as the experience of one who had died and was then given new life. Or it could be that Jesus understood Jonah's as a near-death experience, which he, Jesus, then used to highlight his own experience death, and resurrection. I'll let you think about that one. Perhaps, as some of you know, I was born and raised in California, which may or may not explain many things. But as I was growing up within our family context, every summer we would, we would vacation in the Sierras. I love those mountains often going to Sequoia National Park with its towering redwoods, those redwoods. Uh, for me, it's, it's a sanctuary experience, and, and, and then there's quiet, and I find myself looking at those, those trees, and, and my eyes are lifted and lifted 200, 250, 300 feet, and I marvel. Some of those trees are at least two millennia old, and I marvel. But but anyway, on one occasion, I think I was about five, we found a, a, a wonderful mountain stream with a natural granite slide that was utterly slick. What am I doing? And so I remember the thrill the very first time I went down that slide. And that that slide dropped into then into a pool, a deep pool. And I remember the thrill, the thrill of going down that slide and then dropping into that pool, into that water, which then all of a sudden was shockingly cold. And because of that shock, I probably expelled what air I had within my lungs. And I began to sink down. It, it, the pool was far deeper than, than my five-year-old mind could have in any way anticipated. And so, as I sank down and I began to feel the hurt in my lungs, I tried to claw my way up to the top surface, and I got to the edge of that pool, but then I found that that edge was utterly smooth. And so, as I tried to grab, what I experienced was that, instead of moving forward, I felt like I was being propelled back into the water. And I feared that I would never breathe again. Even now, some 65 years later, I can still sense that fear. By the way, my parents were nearby, so they weren't, they were doing their job. I didn't know it. But that fear, that fear. Whether or not Jonah actually died, the language of his psalm speaks to us of life and death, of fear, of being lost forever, of being alien, forever alone. The horrific consequence of our own doing. Or our own undoing? Perhaps this morning you feel, you feel as though you were being tossed to and fro, entangled in a raging torrent, not of your making, choking, gasping for life, in utter darkness, without escape, perhaps. If this is your present, then learn from Jonah. If you acknowledge your plight and complicity, if you confess your helplessness, he, our Lord, will Here. Oh, he is not a cosmic bellhop, and your prayer is not a magic wand. But when you are down deep, our Lord is loving and kind. When you are down deep, our Lord is loving and kind. Now, not all of us this morning might be mired in some down deep and yet all of us will one day experience Jonah's crisis in full. The depths of the grave, earth beneath barring us in, When that moment comes, in that distress, because we have experienced our Lord's loving kindness now, and because Jesus, our Lord, rose from the grave, we can give thanks now and then for what is and for what will be. Salvation comes from the Lord now and forever. From the depths of the grave to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. You brought my life up from the pit. What the Lord did for Jonah, our Lord continues to do and will continue to do. May you and I learn from Jonah, even if ours at moments is very much A life shaped by disobedience or at least resistance. Our Lord is one who hears, and he will indeed pull us out of the pit. Let us pray. Gracious living Lord, you know that we don't really like to think much about death, the grave. We would rather flee such thoughts. But we do ask that indeed we will know continually of your loving kindness. Whether we are in a down deep, or whether we are in moments of rejoicing, may we truly know you. May we truly respond to you with love and kindness. I pray for all of us, myself included, that today and in the days of this week, we will learn from Jonah. Help us to hear what you want us to learn. This we humbly ask in your great and wonderful name. Amen.